Hey food friends, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Whether you're looking to get on your very first store shelf or you're looking to grow your national or even international food brand, this podcast is going to teach you what it really takes to launch, grow, and scale a packaged food brand. Hear the food founder journeys of brands growing in their industry so you can fast track your food business success. I'm your host, Ainsley, and this is the Food Founders Podcast. All right, Paul, let's jump into it. Talk to us about what is your brand all about and who is it for? Hi. Yeah. So our brand is called Eat Nice, and we're all about creating delicious plant-based comfort foods for everybody. So not just people who are eating exclusively plant-based, vegan or vegetarian, but more like today's flexitarians, especially flexitarian families. So we want to replace traditional comfort foods, especially uh, pasta-based comfort foods with delicious plant-based ingredients, formats, flavors, and update the packaging, update the, uh, the vibe, the values for today's consumers. Our kind of primary customer is essentially the flexitarian family. So as I do a lot of in-store demos, I've discovered that our key customer is kind of not the person necessarily buying the product at the store. Usually they're buying it for someone else or for their family as a whole, and they're doing that in order to make their family whole. So what I mean by that is that because today's uh, eaters are coming at food from different dietary restrictions or ethical principles, you know, usually families now have one or two uh, either totally plant-based vegan eaters um, or people who are looking to reduce their amount of meat, cheese, and dairy intake. And so our food kind of fills the gap in the family where everybody can kind of eat the same thing again instead of eating multiple meals together at the same time. You are like a hero for so many parents and families out there, I'm sure, who are just like tired of creating four different meals for a single sit down. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that's the most satisfying interaction I get to have, especially when it's young kids who, you know, even like preteens who are eating plant-based and the parents are there with them and they're just like, oh my God, this, will you eat this? And they're like, yes, let's buy it. You know, it's, it's, you can see that you've solved a serious problem within the household for them instantaneously. And it, you know, it feels really good to me when that happens. Because, you know, I I know that not only is that kid or that family member going to enjoy it, but everybody else is going to enjoy it too. Yeah, absolutely. And like, how did you get started? Are you in the same situation? Do you have like mixed family of meat eaters and vegans? Like how on earth did you start this? Yes, uh, I do. Uh, my, My, I have three siblings. My one brother is a vegan. My other brother is, I guess you'd call a reducitarian or a flexitarian. And my sister is a more conventional eater. And then, of course, my parents are now officially flexitarians because, uh, you know, whenever any of us is around, they have to change the way that they approach meal preparations. But that's not how we started the company. That's one of those things where, you know, it's been paying attention at the point of sale to the, who the actual customers are and listening to how they're using the product. 
my wife and I, she's my co-founder, Nell, she and I launched the company shortly after we went vegan in order to replace products and experiences that we missed as vegans. So uh, this was, you know, five, six years ago when we sort of conceived of the company and Nell was working in grocery herself. She worked at Whole Foods and she also was a a grocery buyer in a local co-op. And um, we were kind of hunting around for substitutes for a lot of our favorites. And raviolis and tortellinis were something that, you know, we used to eat a lot of and then couldn't find an exciting replacement for them. So we were crazy and silly enough to think that we could create them ourselves and then (laughs) other people would want that too. And, uh, you know, it was only in the course of the journey that, yeah, you know, we were originally kind of selling to a hardcore vegan plant-based customer base. But, uh, you know, as, as we grew, we discovered that, no, the, actually the, the real market for the product is, uh, is flexitarian families. So it's the sort of the family around the vegan or the plant-based eater that is the real target. I think that makes so much sense these days as there's just such a variety of ways that people want to eat what they want to eat that's for them. But at the end of the day, it's still going to taste really good. And so if you can get like the non-vegan on board, you've won. Like it's no longer okay to just have a product that, oh, it's good for vegan. It's like, no, you've created something that's just delicious, period. Yeah. And, and I mean, my wife and I consider ourselves, you know, foodies and, and we did before we were vegan and we do afterwards. And so taste driven products are, you know, what we are accustomed to and believe in. And, you know, I, we don't consider ourselves a health brand or, a, you know, necessarily a diet driven brand. We're simply a taste driven plant based brand for everybody potentially. Cool. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I always think about like my family with this because my father is not a vegan. My brother and his wife are vegan. And it, I feel like it needs to, food needs to go through like that dad test, you know, like yeah. it's going to be good versus it's, just, oh, it's pretty so. good for vegan. Yeah. I think, I think my husband would eat this or I think my dad would like, yeah, like, yeah just don't tell him, just put it on a plate and then tell him afterwards. Exactly. Or don't, it, whatever. It doesn't what, matter. Right. It's like, yeah, you know, once, you know, delicious comes first and then you can, hit them with the double win, which is that it's plant-based. And so it's healthier, but it's also, you know, it's exciting for them to be doing it. I mean, people are getting a lot of messages now about how they ought to eat more plant-based for various reasons, ethical reasons, health reasons, environmental reasons. And so, but you can't lead with that. You know, that doesn't get anybody excited, but they get very excited when you tell them it's as a bonus. Mm. And do you hear that a lot? We were just talking before we started recording about you do a ton of demos still because you want to get in people's mouths. Like, do you see that surprise from people that are the non-vegans like all the time here? Or do you still get that kind of reservation? Oh, vegan. I don't know if I want to try it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I stopped, I stopped, I stopped using the word vegan for the most part because it's a, you know, it's, it tends to be a polarizing word. You know, it took us a little while to kind of make peace with that, but you know, people are much more open to the idea of a plant-based product, especially if they're not, you know, they don't identify as vegetarian or vegan. And then, yeah, those moments where people are just like, wow, that's, like they're like, no offense, but I just thought this was gonna taste horrible. <laughs> like, that's fine, man. You know, like 
that's that's okay. I get that a lot. I get that like you know, it's so much better than I expected. Okay, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, because there's a certain I don't I don't want to say educational aspect to it. It's just a maybe a um, a kind of a challenging of expectations. The sampling is so critical for us, and that's you know, demoing is important for most brands and most categories anyway. But for us, it feels doubly so and it's doubly rewarding because you know once people taste it they they do buy it we have a really good conversion rate for demos that's awesome and love that you recognize that it's needed and that you are getting that good conversion rate that's great yeah so you guys have been in business for for how long now i mean really it's been a little over two years since we were fully in the market there was certainly a, a ramping up period where we uh you know, we were testing products at home. And then of course we had to go on our co-manufacturing search, find somebody to manufacture it, you know, figure out how to go to market. So that took, you know, that took almost two years in itself. But, you know, as a product in the market, we've been in market about two years. So, okay. So two years in market, about two years before that, there's probably been so many highs and lows, but like, I'd love for you to share a really big, win that you guys have had in the business that has just made all those like lows that come with running a food company worth it. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like a really big win y'all are really proud of? Sure. Yeah. So over the summer, I got a really large purchase order through our dish, one of our distributors, UNFI. And I was like, what the hell is this? And cause I didn't get any advance notice on it. So I called UNFI and they didn't know. And it turns out that Wegmans decided they were picking up the products, or I thought it was the products. And so they were picking it up for about 35 stores, which mostly is their mid-Atlantic regional presence there. So I did nothing to get that account. Apparently, the UNFI rep saw our product in a catalog, presented it to Wegmans. They loved it. They ordered it. I got a PO. That was the first I heard of it. And even better at selling in those stores. So, you know, Wegmans is technically a conventional grocery store and, you know, we're mostly in the natural channel. So it was just really wonderful to get that order and then figure out that it was Wegmans and then see that conventional shoppers are actually open to trying a, you know, a plant-based meat ravioli product. So that was a big win for us. Um, Weirdly enough, I asked her like, okay, why, why only the one product though? You know, we have two products. Every other store we service orders both. And she's like, what other product? And I was just like, oh. So, oh. That's a, so, and now I can't get, I mean, I can't get back in touch with it. It's just like the category review passed. And so now it's like, now I want to get the other one in there. But, you know, that was a really, that was a big win, but also that sort of like qualification, which is so typical of, you know, the business and entrepreneurship where you get a big win and you're just like, but, but why not both? You know, <laughs> it's like, all right, whatever. So that was really nice. And that happened over the summer and, uh, you know, continue to be available and selling in, in their stores. That's great. Like you got in there and you're selling there, which is great. And I also think it makes so much sense that, yeah, it's conventional and it's moving there. That's exactly who you're going for. So that's, that's huge. Yeah. That's, that's validation for you. I hope you guys celebrated in some way, shape or form when you got that mystery PO that came through. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, we, I mean, it's important to celebrate the good things and it's sometimes hard to stop and do that. I'm not good at that at all, but Nella is very adamant about stopping and honoring the good stuff because otherwise you can just get, you know, buried under a pile of crap. <laughs> totally. <laughs> And it's so easy to do that. So I'm glad that she's like, all right, let's take a step back and just, even if it's just like, I don't know, I buy myself like a fancy latte to celebrate. That's a celebration for things. (laughs) That sounds about right. Right? (laughs) Yeah. What about any major challenges in the business? There's obviously a lot that come with running a food company. It's certainly not an easy industry, but anything that you guys are facing right now in your business that is coming along with reaching that next level of success for you? Yeah. Seems to be no end to the challenges. <laughs> Currently we're fundraising. So that's been a new experience for us. And, you know, it's can be extremely bewildering and there are huge highs and lows and it's sort of to be written. I mean, we're in the middle of uh, our first fundraising campaign. So it's, there's a lot of things like this. It's like, I'll tell you when it's over, whether it was as bad as it seemed worth it, you know, not (laughs) worth it. I don't know yet, but anybody who's done it knows that, you know, when you're in the middle of it, it's just, you're very disoriented and you're very exposed because you laid bare your company to a bunch of strangers and you desperately want them you know, you want their validation and you want the capital and the support to grow your business. And then you just have no control over the outcome, really. You know, right. at least it feels that way to me. And can we dive into that a little bit more? Because I know this is a piece that a lot of people, you know, within the first couple of years are like, should we raise? When is the right time to raise? What made you guys come to the like point where you recognize that you needed to raise money? Yeah. So it was over the summer we launched as a Whole Foods regional brand in the Mid-Atlantic. We got the Wegmans account and uh, my wife and I were still working both full time. So for the first two years running the business, we were working full time and doing demos and pop-ups and things on the weekends. And it was at a point where we just kind of had to commit to trying to raise capital in order to support the growth and ideally work for the business. And so, you know, over the summer, it seemed like it was time. And, you know, we also got into an accelerator and that was obviously the point of that was to put you in front of investors. And so, you know, it was just like, there were a lot of signals that felt like it was the right time to raise money. And so, you know, we did, we committed to doing that. And the reality is that if you plan on raising capital, unless you have already a built-in network of high net worth individuals, family members, or industry connections, you should probably be building up a network of contacts immediately. Not with the urgent goal of raising money, but because you have to build a form of social trust and recognition within the industry before you know, people start giving you large amounts of money. You know, you're, unless you're just off the charts selling, like it doesn't really matter. But you know, if you're an ordinary company that is doing well and looking to raise, you know, you don't want to have to build your network as you're raising, which is kind of what we had to do. And, you know, in retrospect, I would say that if you think you're going to fundraise, then you should start building up the network of potential investors from day one of your company and try to keep it alive just in terms of 
staying in touch with people and going to events and networking, just showing your face so that people know you, who you are um, and other people know who you are and you get that kind of social trust built up um, within the industry because it's a very small industry essentially. And, and so, you know, that's one thing I learned in the process uh, was that we were coming to this bit as outsiders. I mean, we're not a New York or LA or San Francisco company. We're a Philadelphia-based company, and so we had to basically start to network our way into the New York investment scene, into the food and CPG investor scenes, and a little bit on the West Coast too, to even have, to even create the conditions for conversations around raising capital. Got it. So start soon, everyone. Start <laughs> if you think you might want it, start building up that network. I, uh, that's that's sure. really great advice. And kind of building on that for anyone who is just in the early stages of a food business right now, thinking about launching yeah, or within yeah. that first year, <laughs> any advice? <laughs> what uh, any advice? I mean, we sort of just, I don't know. We didn't, we didn't, it wasn't, we didn't approach this methodically. Like, I mean, it's kind of, we just kind of walked into it and if you have, I mean, if you haven't already started, then I would stop and think very carefully about what you're about to do uh, because it's extremely expensive to start a retail CPG food company. You know, everybody knows this who's already a founder, but if you're not already, you need a couple hundred thousand dollars and you need to be able to go without an income for a couple of years, you know, before you can actually build something that other people are interested in you know it's it's a serious commitment and it's incredibly challenging and complex in and of itself i've done a bunch of stuff i mean i you know i mean i directed independent films uh, i worked in in real estate in new york and this is by far the most complex and challenging thing i've ever seen like it's just the industry is just very the, the amount of things that you need to master and quickly is is crazy from manufacturing distribution institutional capital packaging design salesmanship interacting with the public i mean but what makes it the most complicated is that you're in a national if not global context immediately as soon as you're in a chain so your competitors aren't just local products i mean they're they're global multinational companies with major capital and products and major logistical support. So like the arena is so large, so quickly, it's so competitive that I wouldn't underestimate how difficult this is. And uh, I would think very carefully about it unless you have a lot of money to flush down the toilet <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to work for a couple of years. With that. <laughs> I mean, be warned <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, uh, thank you for sharing that because I think that I personally think entrepreneurship as a whole is really glorified and uh, oh, yeah. specifically, like if you make a great product, you do of course, like want to share that. Mm -hmm. But I see so many broken hearts in the food industry yeah. and like crushed dreams. So <laughs> I, mean, I think gonna... it's important to just set that ground of like what you're getting yourself into. This is, it's a big endeavor. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, yeah, because I'm like, I, I'm part of the, the Philly food entrepreneur meetup and I'm so friendly and I see a lot of fellow entrepreneurs and it's, it's really interesting. The step, you know, there's a step before 
like there's people with food companies, you know, that they're running like a successful business. It's a small business, you know, and it's growing geometrically every year, you know, and they have employees and they create jobs locally and they make a great product and maybe they're a regional brand or they have, you know, a couple regions. And that's a wonderful thing. Like that's also a model. And then there's the sort of high growth CPG company that's institutionally backed. And that's the seductive one, you know, and that's the one where you get caught up and end up losing a lot of money very quickly because of the pressure to grow and to create. And so I think it's important too, to know who you are and what you're after, you know, like there, there are multiple paths in creating a food business, right? You know, you could become a very large, small business over a couple decades. And that model has kind of fallen out of fashion a little bit, you know, because the frothiness of startup culture, but I know people who run very good businesses and they pay themselves well and they have happy employees and they're not interested in raising capital and they're not interested in high growth. And if that's you, then great. But, you know, don't get seduced and, you know, pay a lot of money to service providers and go try to raise capital when you're not really committed to it and you're not set up for it. Like you can go in a couple different directions, but you just need to know who you are and what you want and what you what you have too. Mm. So anyway, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I know everyone listening appreciates that honesty there. So thank you. No worries. All right. Last question. Okay. What does your product pair perfectly with? Flexitarian families. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> there's plenty of sauces and veggies that go well with plant-based ravioli, but you know, I feel like the best connection that happens is when this product finds the right family and it's a family that was eating separate meals together, you know, separate but together night after night. And now suddenly they have a product that knits the family back together. That to me is awesome. And it gives me a lot of satisfaction and hope. Love that. Cool. Flexitarian families out there, go <laughs> get your eat nice. This is perfectly paired for you. Paul, thank you so much for being on the Food Founders podcast and sharing all these great insights. No worries. Thank you for this opportunity and good luck out there, guys. The Food Founders podcast is brought to you by the Fab Growth Academy, the online hub for driven food and beverage business owners that want to get on more shelves, get into more homes and really grow their food business. Inside the Fab Growth Academy, FAB standing for food and beverage. You'll have unlimited access to tools, resources, and training from myself and my food friends. So if you know you have a great product, let's work on building the business side of things so that more people can enjoy it and you can make the impact I know you want to make with your business. The Fab Growth Academy is now open. So hop on over to growmyfoodbrand.com to join me and your fellow food founders inside the Fab Growth Academy. I cannot wait to see you in there and help you grow your business.